Hey, and welcome to the World Wild Podcast. So the goal of this podcast is to help you go global with your company and break from your home country into whichever uh, destination country that you want to get with your business. My name is Tamir. I'm the founder of Adelante. And uh, Adelante is a Zendesk implementation uh, and reselling partner. I started the company back in 2019. After working for the Israeli government, I decided to start my own initiative and I initially focused on integrating companies with the WhatsApp API. And then I slowly got more focused on Zendesk and helping companies implement Zendesk, implement automated workflows in Zendesk by using no code uh, automation. And finally, everything that's related to messaging and API integrations between Zendesk and their platforms or chatbots and that kind of stuff. And I started doing, I wanted to start doing this podcast because I was thinking about taking my company from Israel to the US and starting to work with US customers. And I, it was really difficult for me to find actionable advice on how to do that uh, online, how to take your non-American company and move that company into uh, the States and start working with American customers, that kind of stuff. So I thought this would be a good opportunity to create a podcast that will uh, help entrepreneurs break into new territories and new countries with their uh, companies. And so maybe a bit of a background on why did I even uh, start thinking about taking Adelante to the US? And so if, if we look a couple of years back, 2020 started doing a lot of Zendesk work and building customers hourly and becoming an implementation shop or agency for Zendesk. And I gradually started looking into productizing our services. And so I tried creating a productized service with automation. I tried working with the WhatsApp integrations and charge for that uh, service of building bots and that kind of stuff. Uh, but really the one thing that always stuck and was the most successful is productizing the actual setup work for Zendesk uh, that we were uh, implementing for customers. So over time, uh, we started formalizing the process and we started charging uh, as a fixed price, increasing that price. We eventually reached a glass ceiling uh, for that one, because there aren't too many companies in Israel that are interested in customer service and implementing Zendesk. And two, because people in Israel are used to paying lower prices for those kind of services than uh, in other places of the world. And really more, it, it, I had this realization more or less a year ago that I needed to make a decision on where the company goes from here. So one option was to spread or widen our reach and learn how to implement more CRMs. So we could have uh, expanded into Monday.com and HubSpot and maybe Salesforce and uh, that kind of and ServiceNow and that kind of stuff and stay in the Israeli market and keep working with Israeli customers. And the other option was going global 
and expanding the number of Zendesk customers that we can work with. At that time, Zendesk was still a public company, so it was very easy uh, to look at their stats and see the geographical spread of their customers. And you could see that more than 50% of the customers are in the US and the area we are working in, EMEA, which is Europe, Middle East and Africa, all of that combined was 30% of Zendesk, uh, volume, the, of the total number of customers that Zendesk had. Out of that, Israel is a very small and very specific market that uh, that has even a smaller volume of customers. So sticking with just Israel and just Zendesk couldn't have uh, been successful on the long run. We had a few projects. We managed to build a business as a shop, if as an implementation shop, if you're charging hourly and you're billing, uh, you're paying your employees more than, less than obviously the, uh, what you're charging your customers, that's, that could have been useful. But if you wanted to go to productize services and start building a company that could scale, this wasn't just feasible in Israel. And the other reason is personally, I am more interested and intrigued by cultures in other countries. I spent a year abroad in South America, traveling and learning Spanish. And I was much more excited about going to the States and starting to work with American companies and learning the business language of America and learning how it is to do business in America rather than learning another CRM platform and learning another tool and that kind of stuff. I was much more interested personally with the cultural aspect of doing business abroad. And really it might be useful to mention that Adelante is a bootstrap company and it was initially created to fulfill my uh, dreams and my uh, aspirations. And I figured that uh, that would be a good opportunity to take advantage of that and do what I felt like doing instead of doing the, maybe the right thing or the most logical thing, staying in the same market and just expanding to other uh, tools. And so that's how I started thinking about actually taking the company and Adelante to the US. And I think it's really interesting to mention and maybe urgent to know that the local environment in Israel mostly wasn't very supportive of that. So pretty much everyone you speak with, customers, current clients, advisors, and just people that you're just sharing your uh, your plans with them, they would a lot of the times start casting or sharing with you the fears that they internally have. So a marketing consultant used to tell me that it's very difficult to uh, reach customers in, in the States and that it's going to be a huge expense for me if I wanted to do that. Uh, a lot of people told me it's very it's going to be very difficult to find even one customer in the States and how I would reach out to those customers and how we would find them. And so a lot of the times that then obviously in my English and if my English is good enough and that kind of stuff. And I realized that a lot of the time people are, uh, I lost the word. Um, one second. 
And so I realized that, let's get started. And so I realized that a lot of the times people are projecting their own fears and worries onto you. So it's being, it's very useful to know and very helpful to know how your actual self-worth and if you know that your English is good, if you know that you're, you have an idea and you have a plan on how you're going to reach out to those customers, how you're going to um, get customers in the States, then don't be discouraged by people in your local environment, in your home country, projecting their worries and anxieties over to you, because a lot of them have never done something like that before. And I think that's also a very good point in general, just know who you get your advice from. If you are taking advice from someone that has never worked outside of their home country or never did anything on a global scale, then take their advice with a grain of salt and don't necessarily believe everything that you're being told by people that haven't been there before. And so the only thing that was really important for me was to really expand the reach and the number of companies that we could potentially service. And I did some very preliminary uh, research. I saw there is quite a high demand for Zendesk work on sites like Upwork. I saw there is there are definitely many more companies in the US using Zendesk than in Israel, I think. In Israel, you would have 300 or 400 companies, let's say 600 companies in total using using Zendesk across the board. So very small companies and very large companies, that's the maximum market size of Zendesk companies in Israel. And I already worked with 50 or 70 of them. So that's more than 5% of the market, even if I would get another five percent it would take me three years to do that and it's very difficult to capture any more a market share uh, out of a very small sample size of zendesk customers in israel and i wasn't entirely certain 100 percent how many companies are relevant for us in the states at most it could have been 50,000, which is the 50 percent of zendesk total number of customers which is 100,000 that are located in the US. Obviously, we ended up working with a much smaller number, uh, but uh, that, that was much more encouraging than having a, a fixed market size and fixed number of companies you could work with in the hundreds. And so I had the belief that uh, this will definitely allow us to work with more companies and also with bigger companies than uh, we used to work with in, in Israel. And I took a leap of faith at that point and I said, okay, everything would probably be better than working with the same market over and over again. So let's do it. And that was the time I was starting to build the strategy for moving from Israeli audience to the American audience and customers. And I think there are three main parts in here. And the first one and the probably the simplest one, but the most labor, the, the one that had the most labor involved is translating all the content, the website, the case studies, the video materials, the marketing materials, 
translating all of that into English took some took quite some time and standing up a new website and localizing all the content properly to to English from Hebrew that was quite quite an effort and and so I used several freelancers in the process of creating that localization effort and building all uh, all that system it's it still took a few months until we managed to eradicate Ibra from everywhere on the marketing materials. Like once in a while you would have an email pop out with the Hebrew word or an email would go out from the Israeli domain and not the com domain. So that kind of stuff that took six months to really the transition and finalize all the content that we had in Hebrew and porting that content into English that took about six months to finalize. And the other thing I started doing was gathering a global team and building a team that could help me achieve those goals. Specifically, I worked with the marketing manager that was helping me build the go-to-market plan. And I was working with the, I'm still working with a copywriter that was helping me with all the localization and the content creation efforts. And we connect, I connected with the, both of them through Upwork. And most of the team actually worked with me through Upwork, even the technical people, the Zendesk admin, the automations developer, they were all through Upwork. I'm fairly big, I'm a big fan of Upwork and the flexible working schedule they help you establish obviously same with normal employees you still need to know who you're hiring and you need to work on uh, finding out if they're a good fit or not and manage them and create tasks for them and that kind of stuff uh, but upwork provides a very easy and uh, i would say quick and dirty way to get this uh, up and running fast and there are pros to working with freelancers. There are cons to working with freelancers. I'm a freelancer at, at heart. So I like working with freelancers more than I like hiring employees. And so that was the second part in the strategy that helped me move and port everything to, uh, to, to English and to American audience. And the third thing that I think was very valuable and it might sound like a very big detail, but it's actually very useful uh, for everybody, even if you're not working with a vendor like Zendesk is working with Zendesk US instead of Zendesk Europe was crucial for us. And I'll explain why. For a lot of American companies, if it wasn't done, if you'd never worked with a company in the States, or if the project was never done with a US company, it's like it never happened. And on the other side, the US headquarters has much more resources than the European headquarters, just for you to understand how this works. Every uh, area has a partnership organization and that partnership organization has uh, partner uh, managers and they are responsible for different geographies, size of partners, size of deals, that kind of stuff. And so the US partner organization is much stronger and bigger than the Indian uh, side of the European counterpart. 
and working with the U.S. Uh, partner organization allowed us to get better uh, visibility into the referral payments that before hit or miss with Zendesk. It allowed us to share information with them and get information from Zendesk and, and get access to uh, Crossbeam. If you know, that's a tool that partners, uh, vendors use to share information on joint customers with their partners. And it allowed us to get marketing funds, marketing development funds, to work on campaigns related to uh, getting new customers for Zendesk in the US. So all of that could only happen if you work with the US, with Zendesk US, instead of working with the regional office, in our case, Zendesk Europe. So I think one of the most valuable uh, moves that happened for us and that allows us to generate much more revenue from that let's say, move to, to work with American companies was actually starting to work with Zendesk US and having a partner manager that's very eager and very helpful in the US, in addition to the partner manager that we have in Europe that is also very helpful. But the way Zendesk is structured as an organization gives more power to the US partner manager than, than in Europe. And so I think those were the three things that strategically were crucial for moving and porting the business from Israel and into America. And so on the more personal note, so once I've decided that this is happening and I've started to see some traction with customers signing up to work with us, even while I was still in Israel. I started discussing with my spouse, my girlfriend, about doing a mini relocation for a limited period. And really, what's a mini relocation? So when you normally when executives or company owners want to start a business in the US, a lot of the times that entails moving the whole family for a couple of years, two or three years to the States getting a house, living somewhere there and moving your life over. And for us, that wasn't an option for several reasons. One, my girlfriend is very uh, connected to her family and we didn't want to uh, have a long distance relationship with them for two or three years. The second reason is that honestly, we didn't know how this would turn out. And we wanted to make a test run and see if we're able to, if I'm able to build a successful business in the States and if not have an easy way out and come back to Israel. So they're risking the whole situation from a personal point of view. And, and so what we decided on doing was mini relocation. So we moved to the States for four months. We arrived in New York. We spent a month there and then a few weeks in Philly and then spent the rest of the time in Austin, Texas. And that was also mini relocation. They kind of calling it a relocation, but saying it's going to be for a predefined period of time, helped my girlfriend 
make the decision being and she was comfortable pulling the trigger and doing this uh, for me and it's a sacrifice for the if there is a person that's not in the business and they have to make a change in their life which is a pretty significant change for a lot of people to move countries and so it's a big sacrifice for them normally so for her to um, to agree and to want to come over was very having her on board was very important for me and the way we made it easier to digest i would guess for her is anchoring those four months around various events first we arrived in new york i had pretty much every couple of days i had a customer meeting scheduled i had a conference in san francisco that i flew to attend and so for the first month we had a very uh, tight calendar with everything that's happening so that made it look for her and made her feel that there is a good reason why we're there and then the a month later i was speaking in a conference in las vegas so that was also an anchor event that we said okay we're i'm definitely going to stay until that event and as long as that uh, as long as we have that event on the calendar then it makes sense for us to be there and then after that uh, after that conference again when we stayed in austin texas then we tried scheduling uh, conferences and events and meetings to participate in to create some sort of anchoring around that time not like we're going to be in austin for two months or three months and that's it but have a game plan for what we are going to do in in the states so that was very helpful uh, for to get her on board and when you look at a mini relocation like that and how to do that effectively then it's actually fairly uh, we try to simplify it the process so we rented all the places through airbnb so that was a huge uh, burden that airbnb takes off you so having to look for a place and uh, finding a place that would take you for a month or a month and a half it's not always an easy thing to do so airbnb being able to schedule places in advance and then also make changes if we had a change in itinerary or dates that that was a big part of what made this uh, mini relocation very easy obviously if you're going to stay there for two or three months you want to find a house that's comfortable for you and you want to find a house that you like and you start looking for houses so we kind of skipped that stage and just found something that was good enough for us in new york we stayed in the middle of manhattan in soho so we're always close to um, stuff that we can do and enjoy the city a bit more in austin where we planned ahead and we found a place that was close to a gym and a supermarket and everything that we wanted to do so we didn't have to worry about having a car and we just got around with uber and lyft so that was actually very convenient and so planning ahead and using airbnb for that uh, for housing uh, was very successful and obviously the other thing is transportation we tried staying in big cities where you don't have to use a car so obviously in new york city you don't have to use a car and austin is not very walkable but there is a good 
Uber, Lyft uh, network, and there is also good bike lanes network. So it's pretty manageable if you're using Uber and Lyft uh, for when you go out to the city and the rest of the time you're using the bike or just walking a couple of minutes to get somewhere. And so again, it's a matter of where you are located, but for us using Uber and Lyft was easier than obviously driving and on the whole cheaper than getting our own car for a short, such a short period. Uh, and then in terms of uh, food and how you run your life, we're always cooking. So we made sure that everything we get on Airbnb has, has a kitchen and allowed us to cook fairly easily for ourselves without having to eat outside every time and that helped with a diet and staying in shape and stuff that you want to maintain while you're on on, on such a trip you don't want to start uh, gaining weight and losing your diet so that was actually very important uh, for us and for me to stay sharp and stay on top of my game i need my gym i need my diet so that was very important for us as well and i think to start wrapping up this episode i think there are two more important points to discuss which are the learnings both from the business side and also from actually living in the us and so starting with the business side i think there are a couple of very important uh, things to uh, to understand and to know when you're starting to working with the US and Americans. First thing is that you need to learn the business language like every country in the world. Uh, do, business in America has its own language and you need you're going to learn that over time. The things that were very uh, that were very new to me is for example, where's the DocuSign? So you send a proposal to someone you want them to sign up for your service or your project and they ask you where is the DocuSign so in Israel I could send people a link to the sign up page on my website to the landing page or I could send the W or the statement of work or the scope of work on email and that would go through but in the US, no matter how big or small the engagement is, a lot of the times people are expecting to get a DocuSign from you to, to sign up for your service, to sign the terms and the, and the agreement, sign on the terms and sign the agreement uh, for your service. DocuSign is actually a service, but it became such a household name that every, it just the agreement is actually referred as a DocuSign. Even if you're not using DocuSign for your signatures, you're still going to get asked, where is the DocuSign? Uh, so that's one thing that uh, caught me by surprise in the beginning. And then once you started learning how the system works and how people are used to doing business there, then you start anticipating that in, in advance. The second thing is how you speak when you're speaking with prospects and customers. Uh, in Israel, we are very direct. There, it's very to the point. And this is what we're going to do. This is how much it's going to cost. And we're going to go over that in the call. And then if you're happy, I'll send you the sign-up link and bam, that's it. Deal closed. In the US, you need to be a bit, a bit more subtle than that. You need to speak about the game plan you need to define the next steps 
So it's still going for the same outcome and still going for the close, for example, in a sales call, but you have to do that in a more uh, a lighter way. There's a lighter way of doing that. And there is a business language for doing that doesn't, that may not exist in other countries or other places in the world. For me, learning to speak about game plans and next steps and uh, creating alignment and that kind of stuff was new and was actually beneficial. Once I started speaking like that, people started understanding me better. People started, everything that I was doing was very, uh, they could anticipate what's going to happen next and sales became easier. And just the whole process of selling to us companies just became much easier. Once you start speaking their language, the next thing that I learned while doing business in the States is. Uh, some countries, Israel specifically, have a lot of the times the customers are looking for all-in-one solutions. So they want a solution that does A and B and C. And for example, in Israel, a lot of the CRMs are also creating invoices and they're also serving as mini ERPs and they manage your inventory if you're an e-commerce store and they also manage your customer support. And so it creates, uh, the market is used to uh, getting solutions that are more all in one, even if the level of each module in that solution is not very, uh, is not as good as it, products that are point on solutions. Whereas in the US, the market is more used and that might be changing now, but the market is generally more used to point on solutions. So you're an expert, you're in a knowledge uh, industry or you're uh, working on a specific part of the business. You're an expert and you're expected to be an expert instead of knowing it all and uh, being a generalist. So that's not to say and that it's not important to expand and have other services you can offer, but generally companies are looking for point on solutions. So if you're working with them on Zendesk, they expect you to be an expert on Zendesk. They won't necessarily think about you when they are going to implement, for example, uh, let's say AI or automations and that kind of stuff. So you need over time to build your credibility in other fields and you need to make them know that you can help in other areas of the business in on top of the one you started in. So it's a process and it takes time. And I think the last thing I learned doing business in the States is using the local community in the States for connections is very useful. Uh, personally, I met with a couple of Israelis living in, in New York, in Austin, and each one of them was able to help me with connections and getting to know local companies. So that, uh, that for me was very helpful. And I think on the personal side, what I learned from actually living in the States is I would say it opened my mind in a lot of ways, because when you're in Israel, there are, there are things you can't, when you're in your home country, for that matter, there are things you can't really grasp until you are there uh, for some period of time. You can't really grasp the size of things in the States. I remember one, one day we were trying to walk 
in Austin and we were walking for 20 minutes and we we're getting nowhere. And then we opened up Google Maps to see how long we have until we get to the ice cream shop we wanted to go. And we figured that the area, half the city center in Austin, Texas is more is the same size as the metropolis of Tel Aviv. This is something we would never attempt walking, but until you actually go there and you experience the vastness and how big things are in the States, it's very difficult to grasp that. When you're in Israel, I also remember like I just got to New York and I started looking up some stats and that the entire GDP just of New York City is three times the GDP of the whole of Israel. And then someone told me there are more millionaires per square meter in New York than anywhere else in the world. And this is something that's very difficult uh, to grasp until you spend time there and you get to know the people and you get to know the society and you get to know the culture. So that's one thing. Uh, the other thing is how you look at the US. So a lot of the times I meet people and they look at America as a single place. There is a single country, it's called the United States of America, and that's it. Whereas in reality, it's just 50 states. Each one of them is very different in terms of culture, in terms of how they do business, in terms of the people, in terms of the language, even a lot of the times. So you go, you go to New York and it's one experience. And then you go to Texas and it's a different experience and you go rural, you go to the South of the U S and you go to California and you get very, very different, uh, experiences and stuff looks, might look small on the map, but then you realize how long it is, it takes to go between places. And then you realize why everybody in the States have a vehicle and why it's such a car society in our car country in comparison to other places in the world. So that was very interesting and eye-opening to me. I also remember that kind of maybe goes back to the previous point, but when you're trying to hire someone in the States, you need to understand how things work there in the uh, employment market. And I remember we were trying to hire a project manager our time and we had almost no applicants until we realized we are not mentioning health insurance in any way or shape or form on our job description. And for those of you that don't know, health insurance in the US is normally provided through the employer. So you get a job and one of the benefits is health insurance, even for going to the doctor, where in Europe and a lot of other countries, it's uh, it's part of the, uh, let's say, social security that you get in your country or the national health services that you get in the country. That doesn't exist in the US. So a lot of people rely on their jobs to provide them with health insurance. So this is something that's really important to uh, to keep in mind when you're hiring people in the States. And then just some other strange things is really how strange San Francisco is. And you walk the street and the street where all the headquarters of the tech companies are. And on the one hand, you have the headquarters of Twitter. And on the other side of the street, literally down the road, the other side of the road, you have a bunch of homeless people doing drugs. And it's a very stark difference between their wealth and the big 
buildings of the tech companies and what happens on the other side of the street in San Francisco. And just living in New York is an experience in its own, on its own. And seeing the places, seeing the, seeing the people, just people watching in New York, learning the language of living in New York, that a walk up in New York, you always you look for apartments on Airbnb and they tell you it's a walk up and we didn't really understand what a walk up is until we got to New York and we realized that the walk up is you actually have to walk up a couple of stairs because there there is no elevators there, there are no elevators and you actually have to walk up four or five uh, floors on the stairs so that, then we realized what a walk up is it's actually a walk up uh, and so that's really the main things that that we learned that i personally learned uh, while while being in the states and if i can summarize this in one sentence i would say just do it if you want to uh, to do it if this is something on your agenda that you have been afraid of but you see the potential for yourself personally and or for your business i would definitely recommend uh, doing that experiment and trying to a take your company to the states and b take yourself to the states and learn how to do it there so thank you very much for listening and uh, see you soon. Thank you. Thank you all.